0: Welcome in to Locked on Knicks, and the Knicks lost another ugly one, 120-105. to 105. Turns out, the new year, not a new them, at least not based off the last two games. Gavin, what are we going to talk about after this uh, latest ugly loss in our Julius randle list world right now? We're going to get into R.J. Barrett
1: uh, stringing together another pretty good game. Maybe some of it was in garbage time, but I thought he was pretty effective. We'll talk about Quentin Grimes' defense, Obi Toppin's statistical career night, and we'll get into some of your questions. So all that and more, right now on Locked On Knicks.
0: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starch with the five, going for the win. Thompson left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. For three. That one goes down. All right, welcome in to Locked on Knicks. As always, we want to thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen every day. Uh, we're available on all your favorite platforms, including now YouTube. So if you wouldn't mind checking us out on YouTube. That is much appreciated because uh, we're trying to trying to build up a little presence on there and you can see our beautiful smiling faces every day or in today's case uh, not as beautiful maybe smiling some but also frowning some faces. Anyway uh, I'm Alex Wolf I'm editor chief of Dici the Strickland which you can find at the strict.land. Also figured I'd just wish everybody a happy New Year since Gavin was so kind as to allow me to uh, go hang out with a few friends over New Year's Eve and uh, cover the pod there. And of course, that means that I have to introduce Gavin Shaw, who is your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster and the co-host of this show, along with myself. And we are talking about the Knicks 120-105 loss to the Raptors in Toronto, a uh, fanless stadium. Once again, uh, Toronto has decided to uh, cut off fans for 30 days, all right, three weeks, whatever it was. I don't know. I forget. Uh, in response to just the the COVID uh, cases in the <coughs> moment. And, uh, you know, they, they've decided to go empty arena again, which is a little weird. And this game was a little weird too, I guess. Uh, the Knicks, it was like Tom Thibodeau's worst nightmare, uh, only had uh, Taj Gibson as one of his regular centers available for this game. So his whole like 48 minutes of rim protection thing was not really an option. Uh, and, you know, on paper, this Raptors team plays pretty small, so you would think, like, oh, good matchup. But in reality, uh, Gavin, they're one of the, like, longest teams in the NBA as far as, like, you know, the height might not be there, but these guys can block the crap out of guys, like, left and right. They can contest shots like crazy. They play really hard, really consistent defense on this team. And, you know, the Knicks sort of uh, – Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it the B squad, but they're they're certainly, you know, COVID depleted team right now could not keep up with what the Raptors are throwing at them in this game.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a bad sign when OG Ananobi drove the ball to the basket twice on RJ Barrett and basically put him in the stanchion on both of them like could not have been easier. Uh, Fred Van Vliet was just raining fire from three. Scotty Barnes felt like he was too big. Pascal Siakam kept getting mismatches and felt like he was too big and long and could do whatever he wanted around the rim. This felt like, I mean, I've said it in reference to the Knicks before, not, not as often in the last two years, but like an NBA team against a college team for stretches. And I thought the Knicks, played well in the first half. It was sort of the inversion of the, I guess the analogy that Wally made during the, the T-Wolves game of like the scrappy mid-major going up against the the Duke or the North Carolina. Uh, Quentin Grimes in particular was, was leading that charge and he, he was doing a great job uh, digging in and, and, and helping and, forcing steals and, and the Knicks were hitting just enough threes to sort of stick around in the second half. I, I just sort of think they got depleted and ran out of energy a little bit, but the place I want to start, even though Obi Toppin statistically had a career night, a career high, 19 high points or tied a career high, 19 high points, a career high six assists. I want to start with RJ Barrett because I thought it was an important development. Alex said he had another good game. Uh, it didn't shoot well initially. And you, you can make an, an argument that uh, a lot of his production came in garbage time, um, I already mentioned the poor defense, but I, I thought he showed a burst that he has not recently, like even, even that little um, like pump and blow by of Pascal Siakam into the one handed dunk on that play. I, I, all, all I was left thinking was, man, he, he outside of last game, he hasn't moved like that since the first couple games of the season. And, and then later in the game, taking advantage of mismatches twice on Fred VanVleet backing down for a layup one time and then a reverse pivot uh, banker lefty hook. Uh, threw some really smart passes, uh, had, a, had a cross-court bullet to Obi Toppin, who, who ended up missing the wide-open three, um, a little, a little toss-back to Evan Fournier from under the basket for a three-ball, um, had that in-rhythm step-back three to beat the shot clock. Uh, overall, it was just sort of everything I'm looking for from RJ. And to me, that's – I mean, we, we just did the episode with Tom, right, where we all lauded RJ as probably the single most important swing piece for the Knicks the rest of the season, the biggest story to watch. I think these last two games have been a big step in the right direction on that front.
0: Yeah, I agree. I liked how he played. You know, I I do think that, you know, it, remember how, you know, you used to always say, like, Ben Simmons is, and obviously we haven't seen Ben Simmons play this whole year, but Ben Simmons is sort of like R.J. Barrett's nightmare because it's a guy that can guard him that's bigger, stronger, longer, and, you know, can just generally not take any crap from RJ on the court. That's more or less the matchup that he ran into with OGN and OB. Uh, and pretty much anybody on the Raptors can do that to him, other than maybe like Fred Van Vliet. So I think that it was pretty impressive that he managed to, I mean, take really some some lemons and make lemonade out of them in this one. Because he he was not looking good through the first quarter or two. It looked like he was very overmatched against like the likes of Ananobi and some of these guys and then started st- kind of sort of figuring things out as the game went along um, and you know, getting that shooting percentage up, making a few shots here and there, made a step back three at one point, which is something that we obviously want to see out of him. Uh, hopefully he starts finding his rhythm again soon. I, I do think, like you said, he's gone a long way towards maybe getting that rhythm back a bit over these last couple games. I am still kind of left with many of the same questions about You know, is this a guy that – what's his ceiling? You know, like, is he going to end up looking more like the the guy who could score 30 early in the season? Is he more the inconsistent guy that we saw for, you know, 20 or so games after? Does he sort of live in this area where he was sort of like last year but maybe slightly worse from a three-point shooting perspective where he's just going to be, like, a good role player? Maybe he should just sort of lean into, like, figuring out how to, you know – play really good defense and make himself useful in as many ways as possible on offense, even if he's not scoring the ball. Um, I, I don't know for sure, but, yeah, it was, it was definitely a good game from him. Uh, also a great game from Obi Toppin, which you mentioned, so I'll throw it to him now. Uh, 19 points, 7-12 to 12 shooting, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks and a steal, and to everyone's delight, uh, 45 out of 48 minutes for Obi Toppin in this game. So I think that's probably a season high for any Nick player in regulation. So, you know, you wanted more OB minutes, you get more OB minutes, I guess, in this game. And, you know, I really liked what he was doing. You know, he broke his career high in assists, I think, in the first quarter um, with four of them. And, you know, they were using him a lot, uh, you know, having him pass out of uh, situations going towards the hoop. And uh, he was finding open shooters and, and things of that nature. And, just in general, I think was was doing a good job of doing all the things that we normally like from him. Plus, flashing the passing, which we always kind of talked about as a plus for him. Unfortunately, I do think that a lot of his um, a lot of his best moments kind of came in garbage time too, because Tibbs was basically using him as a spot up shooter for a lot of the first few quarters too, which has always been sort of a weird thing with him because he does so much better when he's going towards the hoop. Um, so I wish his usage would have been a little better. We might have seen. Obi get his first twenty piece in this game. If that was the case, but all in all, it was a it was a really good game for him, you know. And just the latest entry in the like, can Obi keep that level of energy up for regular minutes? Yes, yes, he can. He just did it for forty five, so obviously he can keep that energy up.
1: Yeah, I, I guess. How would you ideally use Obi top and because to me that that's such an interesting issue with him, and and maybe part of the conversation we were having when he was first drafted because it is it is hard to like just park him around the basket when, when you have New Orleans Noel you have Mitchell Robinson um, I think he's best utilized like like when he's able to be active off the ball is able to be able to cut with some momentum towards the rim so I don't I don't mind him being stanchioned out there on the perimeter it's just sort of how active is he and how how able are the Knicks to involve him. And, and to some extent that's not even really about Obi right it's just about like how well is everyone else moving
0: yeah I I'm with you I I just think as far as Obi's concerned you know I don't think that they were utilizing the cuts enough in this game and, you know, run a little pick and roll with him. Like Taj Gibson is at least, you know, since he was out there with Taj for a lot, uh, for how many minutes total, 30 minutes of his 45, um, you know, use, uh, use Taj a little bit in the corner who's at least proven enough to keep a guy somewhat on him at this point, you know, run some pick and roll with OB, try to get him involved that way. Um, you know, try to, get him on those cuts and even if you have Mitchell Robinson out there and stuff, you know, he could still do the cutting there. Uh, And, you know, you can even give it to him, sort of try to get him going downhill almost like I used to with RJ, you know, where just try to get him the ball and get him, get him, you know, streaking towards the hoop with a quick screen around the perimeter or something. Maybe it's with a Mitchell Robinson, you know, who can give him a handoff and then get him going downhill, you know, just anything you could do to get him, get him at the rim a little more. Because I still think that's his his forte, even if he's getting a little better at shooting the three lately.
1: Yeah, I think it's all about getting momentum for him. But Alex, uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you one final time. Let, let's let's talk a little Bill Bar, and then I'll I'll share my thoughts on Obi Toppin right after. But you know what? You gotta you gotta fuel up if you want to if you want to play forty five minutes like Obi Toppin.
0: I definitely have to do that, and you know it's a new year, so it's a new you. You got New Year's resolutions, and if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, maybe Make sure you include built Bars in your plan that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? That's where built Bars come in. They're covered in 100% real chocolate, but they also only contain 130 calories four grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. You can compare that to a candy bar, which usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs, and of course, fat. You don't want any of that. You're trying to lose weight in the new year. So even if you're not a huge fan of working out though, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious built bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And there's so many flavors to choose from. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, Raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and many more. In fact, built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out built.com often to see what's new. Go to built.com and use promo code locked15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code locked15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Gavin, I'll just write to you out of the break. Uh, what should we talk about? We did sort of do like almost a mini mailbag solicitation. Uh, for this game, because we didn't feel like talking about the actual game too much. So we we have some questions from people from Twitter. But do you want to talk a little more about the game or hop in?
1: Yeah, I want I to share some final thoughts on, on Obi Top. I, I thought his first quarter was was maybe the best overall quarter or, or right up there that I've ever seen him play before. I mean, came out, hit the three ball right away. And then I just love... I mean, teams are so like like crapping their pants basically every time he cuts to the rim or gets the ball around the rim. He's built up a reputation in the NBA at this point. And that's, that's fantastic for a guy who we were questioning whether he'd even be in the league in a couple of years a season ago. I, I mean, there was that throw in from Burks over the top where he caught it. And to your point, just, just leveraging the attention. He got that time kicked it to Taj Gibson for three. Um, Had another play where he cut to the basket. And on this play, he didn't even get an assist because it ended up being him throwing a pass to Fournier who, who swung it around to IQ. IQ missed the three. Obi flushed it back home. But the bigger thing to me was when he cut multiple defenders on Toronto had to go with him. That gave Fournier a slight opening. Fournier made the pass. Got an even bigger opening for Emmanuel quickly. Um, Another play where, I mean, to your point, getting it to him on the move. Uh, caught it on the run a baseline dribble drive past the defender and and then just this brilliant feed to Evan Fournier. And I I love passers who can do this. He didn't throw the ball to Fournier. He threw the ball away from the defender and and Fournier went and got it. It's almost like the great quarterbacks in the NFL. You're putting in the spot. You're not, you're not sending it to a specific guy. Um, Also hit an elbow jumper in, in the fourth quarter, which was nice to see, but I I thought a really, really fantastic opening quarter for Obi Toppin. Uh, Leveraging his cutting ability, leveraging his passing. Uh, The other guy I mentioned quickly, but, I wanted to talk about was uh, Quinn Grimes just because I-, I just think it's so obvious that this is going to be a guy who he-, he just seems like a player who will be on a contender for the prime of his career and will be whether as a starter or as a sixth or seventh man will be an integral piece of that contender i've seen people throw out the danny green comparison before i'm starting to like it more and more especially defensively just because he still needs to get stronger he still needs to get a little bit more mobile on that end but the guy is just so so smart and so ahead of his years and in, in terms of i mean while he kept mentioning this in terms of how he he helped and he he say he bailed the knicks out of multiple possessions where, where they were in a mismatch and he was able to come over help recover and, and stay in a good spot. He reminded me of a lot of the guys on the Raptors who, who just kill you defensively with their intelligence. So I, I just, beyond the fantastic shooting, I just continue to be really, really excited about Quentin Grimes. I, I think whenever this Knicks team is good, he's going to be a really important piece on it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love Grimes too. You know, I thought that he had a great game. I think I think his help defense, you know, Mike Breen was, was logging it all day. And that, was, that really stood out to me. I mean, when he was out there, I felt like we we're some of the only times that, the Knicks really felt credible on defense a lot of times in this game. Um, and, you know, he, they had such a hard time uh, otherwise, you know, with, with a lot of different groupings out there. You know, this was sort of one of those games where there was no – there was no players that did well, you know, in like the plus-minus department. But Grimes only coming in with a, a minus six, you know, which put him sort of in, in similar company with like Alec Burks, who had a minus five, you know, and played pretty well. Uh, I I think that that sort of was pretty telling as far as to his impact. You know, he was when he was out there, it felt like the Knicks were kind of in the game. Um, When he was out there, when he was out of the game, you know, it seemed like they were struggling to defend all that well and especially to, like, generate events. Like, he and Alec Burks both did a really good job of, like, keeping on their toes, trying to anticipate passes. You know, they both generated a number of steals on their own. Uh, Grimes ended up with four. Burks ended up with five you know, so not an insignificant number between them at all. That's seven, seven total steals, or sorry, nine total steals between them uh, out of 10 or sorry, 11 total for the team. Um, so, you know, was, they had an outsized impact on the defensive end, which was really good to see. Um, I, I really do think, you know, Grimes also managed to put the ball on the floor once or twice, you know, drive by a defender, you know, he's proving that he's more than just a jump shooter, but even if ultimately some of the other stuff doesn't pan out and he does end up as just a jump shooter, we can feel pretty damn good about it because he's, he's clearly the real deal on that end.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, he is going to be a two-way stud for the New York Knicks for a very long time. All right, let's uh, let's quickly get into our first nailbag question. Then we'll take a break and we'll hit one more, but the first one comes from Doug B at Doug Lust. Fantastic username. Uh, compare and contrast Nick slash Raptors draft and development process and see which, projects better so that, i thought that was a, f- a fun question obviously relevant uh the raptors have been uh, widely considered one of the best in the nba in that capacity pascal siakam a late first round pick a massive success story og ananobi in the same boat scotty barnes a surprising pick for a lot of people over jalen suggs so far that has looked like the right decision Fred Van Vliet, a second round pick, one of the best, uh, maybe in NBA I history. Think undrafted,
0: technically speaking. Oh, was he? Actually. Oh, yeah,
1: sure. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Uh one of one of one of the better undrafted free agents in NBA history in that case. Uh Chris Boucher, I'm fairly sure was undrafted out of out of Oregon. Um he's he's a success story becoming a rotation player for them. You can you can go on and on and on and on. The point is they they have done it better than just about anyone else. And I think the Knicks with their new front office, maybe on a similar trajectory, Alex, obviously they, they don't have anyone with, with the star projection of a Van Vliet or, or Barnes, but in terms of these last two drafts and getting value, it feels sort of similar in terms of finding diamonds in the rough that maybe fit in with, with, with the culture and the system in place of a specific team.
0: Yeah. I mean, so like last year, for example, obviously they, they find OB Toppin. a lot of people kind of scoffed at that pick. Us included. I mean, I'm not going to absolve us like we we were like, well, this sucks, <laughs> you know, on draft night. And we're like, damn it. <laughs> like nobody can save the Knicks from themselves. They end up with OB top and this going to be terrible. But clearly they saw something that a lot of people didn't. And, you know, I, I, I guess you could still argue like Tyrese Halliburton, for example, like, oh, they missed on him. That sucks. But most of the other guys that we were kind of looking at in that spot as, you know, as amateur draft pundits here. Didn't work out nearly as good as Obi Toppin. And they they found probably the best, one of the one of the two or three best players available reasonably in their range, you know, Uh, because Halliburton could have reasonably gone in that spot. So if you want to say Halliburton's better than Obi, sure, it was a miss. But Obi's playing fantastic now, and it's really hard to argue with that pick at this point. Same thing as a quickly pick, you know, we sort of scoffed at that, and he's worked out as well as he has. And he has, I mean, again, you know, maybe not quite the star projection that Fred Van Vliet does at this moment, but... Fred Van Vliet didn't have that projection either when he first started in the league and then sort of figured it out and got there. There is a world, and we've talked about it a number of times, where quickly he could end up a legitimate star if things really start falling into place for him. Um, And then, you know, Grimes would just sung his praises. He looks like a fantastic value at 25. Uh, Deuce McBride, you know, he didn't, weirdly, didn't get a ton of playing time in this game. I thought that, I thought he maybe got hurt or something, but, uh, you know, Deuce looks like a, a really dogged defender. Uh, like he can shoot the three, although he didn't hit, hit many in this game, but he could definitely distribute the ball. He could do point guard things. Um, and Jericho Sims, they picked damn near the end of the draft and he looks fantastic as well. On top of, if you want to throw one more guy out there that we haven't seen in the NBA yet, um, they managed to pick up uh, Lucas Samanich, uh, who used to be with the Spurs as like a second draft candidate. And he's looking pretty good too. I, I think that might've been the case with Boucher for the Raptors. I feel like he may be, at least was on a summer league team for some other team, something like that for the Raptors. I might be mistaken, but you know, maybe we could call that the, the Knicks version of Boucher. But either way, yeah, I, um, you know, I, I like what they're doing in the draft right now. The development thing is another story entirely, and we won't be able to really grade them on that for I think another two or three years. Uh, based off the fact that like RJ wasn't their pick, even if we still believe in RJ greatly, um, you know they pretty much, you know, they only have guys that are in their second year right now. And I, most guys, you can't really start grading like that until they're about at the end of their, their rookie contract. Uh, Cause then it's like time to pay them. And then you really figure out like, you know, okay, how good was this development staff? Like, you know, how much this player going to get paid? What's the projection looking like for once he's not a rookie anymore, you know, or on a rookie scale contract. Um, And, and that's sort of where the the cream rises to the top. So. couple years but as of right now i think the process is good
1: yeah i actually i mean i'll I'll put in a word for the next development so far Uh, iq you you need the the three to come around at some point but he he's a vastly improved player in just about every other capacity certainly defensively we've talked again and again the ability to get all the way to the rim versus just to floater range uh his mid-range game which was non-existent a year ago all of a sudden he's like a a pretty nasty turnaround jumper from the foul line and his bag Obi Toppin. A completely different guy. I mean, beyond being just the plus-minus king of the Knicks, just in terms of skill set, the ability to to face up and drive, we're, we're seeing a, a burgeoning like face-up face-up face, up, face up post game for him uh, defensively. He continues to make positive strides. Even someone like Quentin Grimes, like he he was not this guy at at the University of Houston a year ago, or or maybe just translating to the NBA a little bit better. But it, it feels like the Knicks have put in work there as well. So I, I'm I'm pretty confident in the Knicks in that capacity. I think just to answer Doug's question overall. It's not really fair to compare the Knicks to Toronto two years in because Toronto, again, is pretty much the class of the NBA in these capacities, and they just have success story after success story um, and, and really high-level ones with, with, with All-Stars. In, I mean, I, I don't think the have Leeds ever made an All-Star team, but he, there's a decent chance he will this year, and, and Siakam being an All-Star um, and all these other guys. But the Knicks, the Knicks could be in the upper echelon of the NBA eventually. All right, let's let's uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, Steve Thomas at... Dark Steve 590. At what point do the Knicks start trading off quote-unquote assets in order to assess the rest of the roster? Alex, I will throw that to you. Uh,
0: tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty much there. You know, I, I'm, and we'll talk about this in a minute. And, I, I, you know, you said you touched on this a little bit the other day um, on the solo pod. But, like, you know, I don't think that that necessarily means trading Julius Randle. I do think that Julius Randle needs to play better if the Knicks are going to ever get anywhere, um, particularly this season. I mean, obviously we've seen these last two games. It's it's a struggle without him there, but they've also been relying on Kemba Walker a good deal recently. They don't have Derek Rose. You know, it's not all just thanks to Julius Randle being out that they're not playing well, but they're also, I mean, they're just not hitting shots and, and things of that nature. They're definitely not quite used to, you know, the – attention you know not having the attention on julius randall as much as it normally is um which is is hurting them some but you know so i wouldn't put julius in there but if, if we're talking like alec burks i'll trade him tomorrow if the right offer came up um you know if we're talking evan fournier i'll trade him tomorrow Or i should say like as soon as guys get back from covid protocols and and uh kemba gets back from from his uh what is it tweaked ankle right now um but you know once you get some semblance of health back on the team uh i would trade burks tomorrow i would trade uh I, fournier tomorrow easily i would trade taj gibson or Nerlens Noel if some team thought that they would be helpful to them probably not both but one or the other for sure uh maybe both i guess if you feel confident that mitch and and jericho sims can carry you in that capacity the rest of the year and you want to play small a little more and get obi out there but yeah, I would, I would look into doing those Kemba Walker too. I mean, I as much as I've liked his resurgence lately, if some team comes to you like the I'm trying to think. Uh I I I honestly as far as the league at large is concerned, it's so hard to keep track of like who needs what right now because everybody's just kind of screwed um with this whole injury situation. I think records are getting a little screwed up in that regard. Um, you know, as far as like what the standings are now might not be reflective of how they're going to look at the end of the year when everybody's healthy and everybody gets that final few week push to like really go after it. But um, you know, maybe like the Clippers or something would be into uh, Kemba or the Mavericks, you know, as much as that's kind of sacrilege or, you know, some team like that, find a team that would be into him and wants to give you something of value for him. Thanks to that nice little 44 point game and the Christmas triple double and all that stuff, then trade him tomorrow too. I mean, At this point, we've seen basically with all of the quote-unquote best players on the team, the Knicks aren't, uh, you know, the starters are bad. They're just straight-up bad, and they get run off the floor a lot of nights. And then we've seen, you know, in these last two games that clearly the younger players need some seasoning and some time to, you know, get better before they're ready to, like, lead the team, you know, and and really be, like, huge impact players without the assistance, some of those vets. So, I think if you can keep like the main engine and Julius Randall and then trade off some of these other vets and get some assets to build out more young assets on, on this team, that's what I would do. I, I think that's, that's the way to be. Um, so I would start the fire sale tomorrow if someone was interested.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, to be clear, I, I don't, I kind of don't think the Knicks are going to do it at all. That just doesn't really seem like their MO,
0: their, their MO this season seems to be well. Oh, I don't think awesome. they will either. Yeah. yeah. Thinking they're going to do it versus like wanting them to do it totally different. I, right, I agree right. with you. I think they're going to ride it out.
1: Yeah, um, but anyways, my, my point my point was going to be um, if if they do do it, I think they would do it to try and get a first round pick. And with, with Derrick Rose injured and probably, I, I mean, I don't think likely to be traded. Anyways, Alec Burks is probably the one guy who who could get you a first round pick with how well he's playing, um, depending on the team. So I, I I threw together a little list, Alex. You could you could cut in at any point and stop me if if, if you like a team or you don't think a team is, is realistic. Um, but I, I just went through the whole league and just wrote down a bunch of names, uh, the bucks. I think he'd be a great fit on. I don't think they can trade a first because I think New Orleans owns all their first for the indefinite future. Maybe wrong about that. Uh, the heat on paper, I feel like Burks would be a great heat culture guy, but they have Victor Oladipo coming back who probably fill that role. Obviously Tyler hero. They have Max Strus, who's been shooting the ball. Well, so maybe not the best fit. The Cavs, I think, uh, and I'll throw it to you for this one. I think they're an interesting option with Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio both out for the season. It feels like a combo guard, and we, we know Burks can play some point in a pinch would be a really great fit for them. And I, I just I, I like the combination of his shooting and his his defense and his, his handling ability next to Garland with those two bigs. I, I just think he'd be fun on that team. But to me, it's just a question of does Cleveland want to say, all right, we we have all these injuries, let's pair back and, and kind of put things together for next year. Obviously, if they were to trade a first to the Knicks, I think it would have to be heavily protected because you're not giving up a mid-first round pick for Alec Burks.
0: Yeah, I. Uh, so I think like the Bucks and the Heat, obviously, yeah, I could see that happening. You know, they're obviously really talented teams that have big aspirations this year. So, of course, they would go for them. They have even a first round pick that would really entice the Knicks that much. Maybe. I mean, I guess, you know, really, the Knicks have turned the 25th pick two years in a row into a pretty solid contributor. So, you know, I I guess that, in theory, yeah, that that they'd probably be interested in that sort of thing. Um, Cleveland, though, is interesting. I mean, I think that really they would... So they're currently at the five seed. They're 21-16. and They've weathered the whole, you know, COVID storm pretty well to this point. Like, they're 6-4 and in their last 10. You know, if they feel like they can keep this going and, and really be a, you know, a, a top five seed legitimately, or maybe even do like what the Knicks did, go on a little run and, you know, steal that four seed away or something. Maybe it's something that they're into. Um, you know, I, I I think that they could somewhat confidently say at this point, like, okay, I think we're definitely going to make the playoffs. So maybe they just lottery protected or maybe do the Dallas thing and like top 10 protect it to send it to the Knicks. Um, so if they would do that, I think as, a, as the Knicks, I'll probably take that because, you know, I I think that feels about right. You know, if you get a pick off of a a team that, let's say, that Cleveland even, you know, ends up the sixth seed or something, like let's say Philly makes the Ben Simmons trade, whatever it's going to be, whoever they get sort of gives them a shot in the arm and, and Philly leapfrogs Cleveland back into the, you know, the top five and Cleveland ends up the sixth seed. You know, even if that's the case, you know, that, that's that's good for Cleveland because they hold on as, you know, a team that doesn't have to go into the play-in. And I think that's still pretty good for the Knicks because a six seed, you know, that means that you're probably like around the what 18th pick, something like that. Um, 18th ish, you know, 17th, maybe something like that. So, I mean, that's a good pick, you know, that that's a dangerous place to place the New York Knicks with their draft record. Now, you know, that's, they could potentially trade back three times, net, you know, another first round pick or a couple more second round picks or something, and also end up with a great player at like pick 24, 25 again, and you know, knock it out of the park like they have these past two drafts. So uh, I, I like that for the Knicks. You know, I like giving them more opportunities to wheel and deal, let Brock Goller and Leon Rose shine. So I I would definitely be down for that. The main thing is, would Cleveland be down for it? And I think that the the answer to that question lies with, do they feel like in their heart of hearts, their hearts of hearts, I should say, that their team is legit? Um, and, you know, I, I think I think things are looking up for them, so I would feel like things were legit if I was them. But maybe they're still a little too gun-shy considering their, their shaky past. So, I could see it. I could also not see it. You know what I mean? It's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but I, if, if that was on the table and the Knicks had it and they wanted to put, say, like a top 10 protection, I'd be totally down, you know, as a Knicks fan for that one.
1: Yeah, well, I'm with you. All right, I, I went through the whole Western Conference, and, and the one team that stood out is, is the team that Alec Burke spent the majority of his career with, the Utah Jazz, I think could clearly use another wing. Uh, Joe Ingles has, has lost a little bit of a step there. Um, in general, has really struggled defensively in the playoffs, um, as has uh, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, so you could you could use maybe – Bogdanovich has been incredible offensively this year, but just for specific matchups, I think they could use more of a two-way wing. Burks is obviously comfortable playing in Utah. He's, I think he got, he got at least a couple of years under Quinn Snyder. Maybe not the cleanest fit with Donovan Mitchell, but I think the beauty of Burks is his skill set is so diverse, and he's such an accommodating player that he can kind of fit in anywhere, anytime – I think in Utah's in Utah's dream world, they're getting a bigger wing, maybe someone more like a Harrison Barnes who can really defend the LeBrons and the Lucas, because that's that's ultimately what's killed Utah the last few years, right? Like the inability to stop the big alpha wings on the other best teams in the Western Conference. But Burks is a is a solid defensive player and offensively, I think he makes all the sense in the world for a team that's already uh, putting together one of the best offensive seasons in NBA history. So to to me, that that along with Cleveland are maybe the two crown jewels of, of potential Burke trades.
0: Yeah, the only problem with that one is having looked it up here, they have their 2022 first round pick already going out to Memphis, um, and then and that's probably going out. It's it's lightly protected uh, selections one to six this year which I think we can already rule out that conveying this year. So it's conveying this year. Um, Then they have their 2024 pick uh, going to Oklahoma City, and that's protected one, two, three years in a row. So that's going to be 2024, 25, and 26. Um, So unfortunately, they would have to lift their protections on it or renegotiate with, uh, with Oklahoma City to be able to give that pick up. Or to give up their 2020, 26, I should say, um, because otherwise it's tied up in those future uh, protections. So maybe they can, you know, grease the wheels a little bit. They have a few extra second round picks laying around. So maybe they just say, hey, OKC, can we give you, you know, an extra second round pick in exchange for the protections lifting on this a year earlier? And then we'll convey our second round picks or whatever. Maybe they do something like that. But, you know, so. It would be good. It's just if if the Knicks trade with Utah, they should probably anticipate things lasting a little longer uh, unless Utah can reroute a player somewhere else and then get the get the first round pick to go to the Knicks in that way. Um, but otherwise, I like it. I like the fit. You know, I think pretty much any team can use an Alec Burks. If we're being completely honest, you know, even if the fit isn't perfect with Donovan Mitchell, like he's proved this year he can hit spot up shots, he can. You know he can defend his butt off and really affect things on the defensive end. Um, he can, you know, pass some. He's the guard that experiment failed, but you know he can he can move the ball. He's a willing ball mover. He doesn't let it stick to him unless he needs to. You know, and he has a pretty good judgment uh, in his brain for like, okay, time to take over versus all right, you know, time to kind of distribute and let others others take over. Um, so I like. I like his fit there. You know, he plays, quite frankly, just like championship caliber finishing piece type of basketball, and the Jazz are a championship contender, and you know could probably use a finishing piece like that. So I, I definitely like the fit there. I'm sure David Locke would like it as well. Yeah, big fan. Um, all
1: right, uh, let's. We we're going to try and get to one more mailbag question, but I'm looking at the time, so let's let's save it for our next pod and maybe maybe a full mailbag, Alex, sometime later this week. But on that note, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. We really appreciate all of you tuning in. And yeah, we'll be back soon. Until then, be good. Peace out. Enjoy 2022.